Welcome to Hope Denver once again. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors around here, if you don't know me. And uh, today I have the distinct honor and privilege of kicking off our first ever Holy Week here at Hope Denver. Uh, I think you could clap for that. That's a pretty cool thing. Um, we're just a baby church, but what an amazing time. Uh, our first Easter celebration together as a church. I was thinking about it today. I can remember uh, sitting in Pastor Tyler and Cassie's apartment a couple years ago, and Pastors Kelsey and Ike were there as well, and we were dreaming about what we wanted this to be like, uh, what we wanted Easter to be like and to be remembered by, and, and here we are, and we were so hopeful about what we wanted it to be. We wanted it to be about hope. We wanted it to be about Jesus, and um, gosh, here we are, and now you're all here, and you get to celebrate it with us, so thank you for being here. We get to share it with you, and before we get into the message uh, a little bit today, though, I wanted to underscore some of what Pastor Kelsey was talking about uh, in the announcements, uh, because, see, Easter, uh, in its significance, both theologically uh, and practically, in our experience of, of trying to understand the way of Jesus, Easter is really central to this, right? And so, uh, counterintuitively, though, uh, Easter is a time that's really less conducive uh, to what we do often when we come to church, and that's where we analyze and we interpret, uh, and then we apply what we learned, uh, trying to understand and put it into practice. And there will be more of that throughout the week uh, with some of the uh, prayer focus that we talked about. We really want everyone to get on board with that. We really want everyone to, to, to be a part of that experience as we head into Good Friday and, and, uh, and Easter Sunday. But uh, like I was saying, Easter is a time that's less conducive to what we often do when we, when we come to church. And the reason for that uh, is because Easter, with Easter, the story is the point. Period. <laughs> End of sentence. Um, the story of Easter is the point, which is experiencing together with Jesus his road to the cross. Ultimately, this Easter season, with the prayer focus and kicking off today with Palm Sunday, our Good Friday service, and of course, Easter Sunday. Ultimately, what we're aiming to do is to know the love of Jesus deeper, which the Bible tells us is a love that surpasses knowledge, which is to say the love of Jesus is an experience which you cannot know from a book or a classroom. And so the application today and this week will be simple. Will you walk with Jesus all the way to the cross? And so our church will follow him there too this week with his death on Good Friday, and I hope you'll be there at our Good Friday service, uh, and we'll follow him all the way to the power of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Uh, but today we begin walking with Jesus on his journey towards the cross with an examination of what was happening a mere five days before he would be crucified, a day that the high church calendar refers to as Palm Sunday. So let's pick this up in Matthew 21. That's where we'll be reading today. Matthew 21. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew's in the New Testament. Uh, you can't really miss it. <laughs> um, it's the first one there, the first book in the New Testament. Go to chapter 21 and head to verse 1, and that's where we'll start. And it says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, Jesus replied. Have you ever read from the lips of children and infants, you Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Lord, I ask now that uh, you would speak through me. Lord, let it not be my words that are spoken, but let it be yours. And let it fall, Lord, not on deaf ears, but on ears that are ready and willing to hear. Would you, Lord, let us put away aside our perspectives and try to have your perspective for just a few minutes, Lord, as we seek to understand you in a deeper way and follow your way better. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> so I can remember the day that uh, Kelsey told me that she was uh, pregnant with Oliver, our third son. Uh, I, have a daughter, uh, I, have a, I have a daughter as well, so it's really our third child. Um, and see, I had painted a portrait in my mind that we were going to be a family of four. <laughs> uh, four and no more was what I was saying. Uh, we had our boy, uh, we had our girl, um, and my, my, that's my oldest, Judah, and my daughter, Annabelle, and we were good with that. We were good with four and no more. It was going to be nice because then you don't have to have anybody wait when you go on the ride at Disneyland. You know, it was just like we all could get on the ride, you know, and um, we're going to Disneyland in a few weeks, and we're kind of wondering what we're going to do with Oliver, but, um, <laughs> but um, see, I, I, I had dreamed up what was going to happen. I was even thinking about what would happen when we took him there, and see, I expected that we were on our way to this life that I had dreamed up, right, uh, but then Kelsey told me about Oliver. And if you, if you just watched it back on video, like without any sound, uh, you know, like you would see this image of Kelsey kind of running down the stairs into the basement to tell me, and you would, you would see that she was kind of excited and she was saying something, and she was kind of moving her hands around and saying something. And then you would have seen my reaction, like the camera would have zoomed to me. And you might have thought that she told me, like, that the Broncos were moving to Canada or something. <laughs> you know, and if you know me, then that's a really bad thing. <laughs> Um, my face would have, <laughs> we'll get a little lightness in this message to start because it gets heavier, don't worry. Um, but see, I, I was devastated. Uh, I was, I w my plan was ruined. <laughs> my level of control was gone, right? Um, much like we know what happens later in the week to the people who were waving these branches, these palm branches in the passage we read, 
like their expectations were let down, my expectations of how I thought it was going to be uh, were not met either, and I was disappointed. <laughs> um, but what I realized through that, and praise God that he teaches me lessons in a way that gives me the blessing of a child in exchange for me learning how to trust him and not my plan. <laughs> what I learned through that is so often we put our expectation in our plan, uh, in our ability to control. But what Jesus wants for us is to put our expectation and our hope in him. And I want to speak to you today from the subject expectations. Uh, and I'll warn you ahead of time to just set your expectation. This is not going to be a sermon that you might expect. Uh, I'm not going to give you any Greek translations. I'm not going to give you any scripture references that are really well connected and thought out. <laughs> this is not going to be something like that. Because like I was saying, the story of Easter is a story that tells itself. So when we pick up the story in Matthew, in the passage that we just read... I want to provide a little bit of context here because it's important to understand that Jesus chooses what he's doing and what we read. He chooses this time and what he's doing very strategically. Uh, he's heading into Passover week, which is kind of the Jewish celebration of, of independence. It's, it's, it's kind of like the 4th of July and Memorial Day uh, all wrapped into one on the Jewish calendar, right, if, if, if you can get that picture. And as we read this, if you understand the context a bit more, this is a scene and a moment in which you can really feel some tension uh, building here. You can, it sort of jumps off the page at you, right? That there's, uh, imagine with me uh, this swell of these crowds that were following Jesus around and those coming into the city of Jerusalem at this time for, for Passover week. Uh, they, a lot of the people I read said that there were so many Jewish people that would descend on the city for Passover, that it would swell to over five times its population during this time. And given the time and place in which Jesus is doing what he's doing, what we read about here, the city of Jerusalem is this tinderbox that's just ready to set off. Uh, it's this tinderbox of these people that are declaring and crying and clamoring for a resurgence and a reassertion of the power that once was Israel. It's a time for Israel to reassert its position in the world and kick out all these Romans who have occupied their land by whatever means necessary. So picture me with this as you see Jesus coming up over the hill in this verse that we read in verse 1. They're coming up over the hill into Jerusalem and they see the temple off in the distance with its glistening white marble walls. They can see the symbols of Jewish power glowing off in the distance and it's stirring all of these nationalistic tendencies, if you can possibly imagine how that looks. And Jesus says, go and find a donkey in a little village off to the side there. Uh, he's, it's important to note he's not prophesying a donkey's going to be there. He's not predicting that. Rather, Jesus has made arrangements for a donkey to be there. Uh, Jesus is deliberately and intentionally leaning into this moment that he's creating. What's happening here is exactly as he intends it to happen. Because when he comes riding in on this donkey, the scene that everyone else was expecting what he, what is, uh, between what is going on and what they were expecting is very different. <laughs> to those Jewish people that were waiting for him at the gate and putting their cloaks down and waving their palm branches, 
Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem means an expectation of the end to the Roman occupation and a restoration of this national Israel to heights not known in a long time. To the Roman force that was there, they must have been watching Jesus' entrance. And to them, it would have meant that this comically backward people are at it again (laughs) with their silly traditions and their superstitions for how could some rabbi on the back of a pack mule possibly move this invincible empire? To the disciples who were following him, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem meant an expectation that their loyalty would soon be rewarded and their futures would be secured with the spoils of this kingdom that Jesus was about to begin. All of this time that all this is happening, though, you can imagine that there must have been a lot of confusion (laughs) because all of these people were expecting something very different than what they saw. You don't expect your conquering hero entering the city to declare independence riding on a donkey. (laughs) You want him riding on a charger, uh, preferably riding in on a chariot pulled by this great white stallion, and, and you want the symbols of power to take it right to the throne where the power is and stick it in their face. <laughs> that's what these people would have wanted. That's what, that's what these people would have expected. But look at how quickly Jesus upsets all their expectations. Jesus enters the city and then proceeds not to the governor's palace, Not to the high priest's home, but he goes straight to the temple, (laughs) the the innermost sanctum of Jerusalem, and he starts flipping over tables, (laughs) And and he kicks out all these money changers and merchants that were there, and then he sits down and he teaches some kids, (laughs) and he maintains this surprisingly low profile, and then he leaves. And everyone must have been looking around like, huh? (laughs) What is he doing? We're all here. (laughs) We were ready. We're all here. Uh, We took the day off work. (laughs) How could he have missed this opportunity? With a smile and a wink at one of his disciples, Jesus could have set off a revolution. And they would have followed him to the death. They all would have done it. But Jesus isn't going with the program. (laughs) He's not doing what he's supposed to do. He persists in failing as this glorious conqueror that they welcomed at the gate, waving palm branches. He isn't meeting their expectations. He isn't doing what they've said again and again that they need and they want him to do. And I can imagine that After seeing this, even those that were closest to him probably started to wonder. Maybe he doesn't really care. (laughs) Maybe he isn't who we thought he was. Maybe maybe our friends were right. Maybe, Maybe we wasted all this time following this nondescript rabbi from Nazareth. Sure, he did some amazing things, but maybe the Pharisees were right. Maybe we've been duped. Maybe it's time to get real. They must have been asking themselves and thinking, what a waste. (laughs) So much lost time. 
How could I have been so blind? How can our expectations have been so skewed? How could I have been so wrong? You can feel the, the frustration starting to build, right? As we imagine what they must have been thinking. These questions turn into frustration for all the people that were there. They begin to ask questions like, who can we blame for this? <laughs> this isn't how it was supposed to turn out. And thus they proceed from joyfully waving their palms to abruptly arriving at the crucifixion. Cheers and pats on the back turn into fists in the air and a mob shouting for judgment and death. This is the whole drama of, of Holy Week. And we must live it because it's the drama that's at work in our hearts now, even in this moment. See, I've, I've really been examining my own heart about this idea of, of expectations quite a bit recently. And I don't intend this to be a therapy session just for me, but, but if you'll indulge me for just a moment, because I think you might find yourself in this too. Palm Sunday is a day that we tend to want to celebrate the wonder of Jesus, and I think that's okay, but I kind of find myself caught up with the fact that I don't think I'm very different than all these people whose expectations were disappointed. I don't think any of us are, really, if we're honest about it. People, these people that had great expectations of what Jesus was there to do, only to end up, as I find myself sometimes lately, disappointed and frustrated. I've been frustrated in my career path. I've been frustrated in my financial situation. I've been frustrated in my ability to be what my wife and kids need me to be. Even this church that we had so much expectation for, I've been frustrated because it's, it's hard. None of this did I ever expect to be easy, but it's all been harder and different than I expected, you know? And it has me wondering, why? <laughs> right? Does anybody ever wonder this? Does anybody ever wonder this like I am? And through some of this disappointment, I'm learning this. <laughs> when we place our hope in the things of the world, in the things that we can do, we end up disappointed. But when we place our hope in Jesus we will never be disappointed. <laughs> I think the cause of some of our greatest frustrations in life, though, back to this idea of expectations, some of the greatest frustrations, some of the greatest hurts, some of the greatest difficulties in our life really boil down to unmet expectations, right? If you strip it down, think about times when you've been hurt the most. Think about times when you've been frustrated the most. It's probably because the expectations were a little off, right, somewhere. And if you're like me, we tend to get disappointed then when all the people around me <laughs> don't behave as I expected them to behave. <laughs> I, I get disappointed uh, when they're not doing exactly as I expect that they should do. And really what we end up with is that we we sort of get to this place where we expect that if everyone was just like me, then everything would probably be a little better. <laughs> if only the events of my life and everything going on around me 
was something I could control, I'd probably be a lot happier. And if we're really honest with ourselves, much of what that attitude boils down to, much of what our worldly expectation is, is me getting what I want. <laughs> if only Jesus would just give me what I want, then, then I'd be happy, right? And then we get frustrated that our kingdom isn't coming. <laughs> the way we dreamed it up is not happening. And we start to ask questions and we start to wonder, much like the people who expected Jesus to be this conquering hero, we even start to let these questions and thoughts creep in like they did. Who, they were so disappointed that he didn't come in the way they expected. We start to ask questions like, what am I even doing here? <laughs> what is my purpose? Am I even valuable? How can this be? <laughs> Jesus, this isn't what I expected. I've done the right things. <laughs> Surely you care about that. I should, that should have the right outcomes, right? And maybe I'm just preaching to myself. I don't know. I'm seeing some nodding heads, though. You can hear the anxiety in these questions, right? And I think these questions circulate through so many of our conscious and our unconscious thoughts because our expectation is that if we're honest with ourselves... The world around me should bend to my needs, my dreams, my control. It should do what I want it to do. But it was never meant to. And so it creates disappointment and anxiety. And we start, as the people at the gate did, to look for something or someone to blame for this lack of contentment that we feel. And so with this anxiety and this frustration running through our system, Palm Sunday is this day where we just smack right into this wall that Jesus creates for us. Because, see, I find myself in awe of how wise a teacher Jesus is in what he's doing here. He knows that so many of us, myself included and especially, will try and co-opt his way to accomplish my outcomes. He knows that so many of us will say, I'm willing to follow you, Jesus, as long as the outcome of following the way of Jesus is what I expect it to be. Lord, save us. Hosanna. That's what it means. And by that we mean, though, bring, bring our kingdom to bear. <laughs> bring, bring my kingdom to bear. Give us what we want and, and what we think we need. But Jesus is so wise in how he stops that. <laughs> where Jesus deliberately and intentionally tells us with what he's doing here. He says, I don't come to bless your kingdom. I come to invite you into mine. I don't come to bless your desires. I come to initiate my kingdom. Palm Sunday is this brick wall, a day of startling contrast and confusion because it reveals to us how quickly we turn. <laughs> it reveals to us how fickle our hearts can be. It reveals to us where our insecurity baked into this anxiety and disappointment we so often feel is rooted. It's in our need to control. It's in our need to get the outcomes we want. It's in our need to be God, if you think about it. And yet, there's Jesus. 
in the midst of all this scene. Knowing the intentions of all those around him. Knowing their imperfect motives and ambitions. Knowing of these impending betrayals that we know will happen. Despite all that is amiss, he humbles himself to ride on anyway. And he sets his sights and his focus and he willingly enters the city. Riding on a donkey. (laughs) And I'm struck by that word humble that we read. See, Matthew is writing this account of what happened through the lens of the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's already happened. (laughs) And so like, similar to our perspective. And so, He includes this reference to this prophet, Zechariah, that we read. And he's saying to the Jewish people that he was writing to, this was done to fulfill a prophecy that you all forgot about. (laughs) He includes this point, this, this idea that there's this humble king riding on a donkey. Because he's trying to make the point that you guys missed it. You missed it. Your king doesn't come with massive displays of power and of might because he can't, but because he has a different type of kingdom in mind. See, Jesus comes riding into our hearts the way that he rode into Jerusalem that day. He comes riding in, reducing his power. He comes humbling himself to serve. Because, see, the kingdom he has in mind is one that is characterized by peace. It's characterized by joy and by love. And he knows that the only way those things come is when you reduce your power, when you relinquish your control. Because, as he says in a teaching only a few verses before all of this happens in Matthew 19.30, he says, the first shall be last. And the last shall be first. Anyone who loses their life for my sake will find it, he said. Matthew is intentional to include this because to his audience, he wants them to know your king does not come in massive displays of power because he can't, but because he knows the only way he will ever win the hearts of the people that he so desperately wants back is if you'll join him in this humility. If you will join him in this servanthood. If you will humble yourself too and join him in his suffering. If you will join him too in his death. (laughs) The only thing that will win back those people that he so desperately wants is not power and control, but it's, it's love. It's humility. It's hope. It seems backwards. <laughs> it seems upside down. It, it doesn't meet our expectations. But this is the economy of the kingdom that Jesus came to build. Sure, he, he came in and turned over some tables, but what I'm finding is if you've decided to follow Jesus Your expectation should be for him to come in and turn over some tables in your heart, too. 
Just like he turned over those tables in the temple, you should expect him to come in and turn over some tables in your life. You should expect that everything you thought you knew about how to get ahead and how to have your best life and all these things that you thought you needed, those might get tossed upside down. And this is hard for us. (laughs) This is not popular preaching that grows churches, really. It's hard for me. I want things to turn out the way that I want them to turn out. I want people to do what I want them to do. (laughs) But when we realize the way Jesus, his kingdom, is upside down from the way of the world, that he is building a kingdom of peace and of this humility, when we realize that his kingdom is, is not what we expect it to be, when we humble ourselves and let our desires and expectations and demands of the people around us and and what we think the world owes us, when we let those things follow Jesus to the cross, that is when true power is unleashed. (laughs) I'm going to ask the the, the worship team to, to come back up now. See, Palm Sunday is is all at once a picture of how fickle we are, but it's also a picture of how perfect a king Jesus actually is. (laughs) And what the king that they so desperately wanted him to be could have been. But those people in, in Jerusalem that day missed it. They were shouting, Hosanna, because they thought he was going to be what they wanted, but when he ended up disappointing their expectation, it was out of their insecurity that they started shouting, crucify. (laughs) And yet, Jesus is still there. He still rode in. Despite our double heart and our mixed and our broken intentions and expectations, there he is. Humbly entering our chaos with humility, unswayed by the cries of our fragile feelings and our fragile affections. And he says quietly in the midst of our shouting, I'm here now. I'm here to save you from the inside out. I know you. I love you. I'm not afraid of your fear or confusion. I'm not going anywhere. Now that I'm here, I'm with you to the end. See, this is what Jesus' promise is to us if we adopt his expectation and his way. His life, through his actions on Palm Sunday, through his, through his death and his resurrection, he says that if we humble ourselves and relinquish our expectations of the people around us and the circumstances around us, and instead we place our hopes and our faith and our expectation in him, then he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine And see, this is the whole point. This is the paradox 
of Palm Sunday. Jesus didn't come to satisfy my expectations. He came to exceed them. If you hear nothing else of what I said today, hear this. You may have put your expectation in yourself. You may have put your expectation in your ability to plan and make everything just so. You may have put your expectation in someone else that let you down. You may have put your expectation in something that didn't pan out the way that you thought it should. And you may have found that putting your hope in those things has left you disappointed. But I came to tell everyone who's thinking those things today that there is a king riding in on a donkey that you can put your hope in that you can put your faith in, that you can align your expectations to, that will never disappoint you. Hold on, I'll calm down. I'm going to preach in a minute. And so as we begin this journey with him to the cross this week, you should know at the end of the road that we follow him down. The last words that Jesus uttered before he died were, it is finished. (laughs) So that means all of this anxiety and doubt that results from our unmet expectations of the world is finished. (laughs) The curse of sin is finished. The slavery of pain and brokenness and shame that you might feel from those things that you put your expectations in Those things are finished. The question of whether you're worthwhile, it's finished. The question of your destiny, wondering if you're here by accident, wondering what's happening, that can all be finished. Wondering whether your mistakes and the mistakes of others will define you, that's finished. Jesus said in the sum of his life, You are a daughter and a son of God. You're infinitely valuable. You're eternally God's. All this striving to impress others, all these questions that build up in our minds as human beings, all those things are finished. All the misplaced expectations, finished. (laughs) Jesus did what we could not do for ourselves. He set our expectations. (laughs) He showed us what love really is. And so I'm not sure where you find yourself as we begin this holy week. Perhaps you find yourself among the scoffers, among those like me who are frustrated and going through a difficult season of unmet expectations. Perhaps you've, you've had some expectations in the past that are keeping you from even believing that this hope can ever be real again. But on this Palm Sunday, Jesus beckons us to think a different way. (laughs) Instead of expecting that I will get whatever I want (laughs) and build my own kingdom, Jesus is calling us to do the opposite. He's calling us to humble ourselves and follow him to the foot of the cross where Jesus says there, come and join me in the fellowship of my suffering. Become like me in my death. That's how you can attain the realization of the kingdom of God. 